0: welcome to episode number 179 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm talking to Rebecca Mills who has the lifestyle brand that's made in the UK called Rebecca J Mills. Rebecca's got a background in buying and retail, she's worked for some big names, yet when it comes to running her own business, she's found it very different. In this episode, she talks about what those differences are when it comes to running her own brand versus working for a big retailer and some of the common mistakes that it's easy to make when you love designing products as much as Rebecca does. So as well as being a member of Make It British, I've also been working with Rebecca in my group coaching programme to help her build her UK-made brand. And as she explains on this chat, at the beginning of 2021, when we started working together, less than two years into her business, she had already developed over 300 products across multiple categories and with some products being made overseas overseas. She was understandably a little bit frazzled doing most of that on her own as it's a lot of products to manage, even if you have got a background like Rebecca does in buying and product development. Since we've been working together, Rebecca has focused down on which products she really needs in her range and how to ensure that she gets her price positioning right so I hope you enjoy this interview with Rebecca. Before you go, if you are interested in finding out more about working with me when my new coaching programme, Manufacturing Made Easy, launches very, very soon, just go to katehills.co.uk forward slash application and you'll find all the details and from there you could apply to work with me. So now let's go over to Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you very much for joining me on the Make It British podcast. Thanks so much for having me. That's really kind it- of you. You've been a member of Make It British quite a while now, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I think it's
1: probably about 18 months, maybe two years. But I've known about Make It British for a long time and obviously attended your fairs. So,
0: um, yeah, Fantastic. so I feel like I've known you for a long time. I feel like I've known you for quite a while too. So for those that don't know you, do you want to tell us what it, what the product is that you make first?
1: Yeah, so I have a lifestyle brand under my own name, which is Rebecca J. Mills. And basically, I am a print designer and I apply my prints to um, home decor, fashion and accessories. So home decor encompasses everything from cushions to wallpaper, lampshades, and fashion is a small capsule collection, um, which was launched last year, and accessories are just you know things like scarves, little bags, more
0: gifting um, products. You really are known for your prints, your prints are beautiful and and for anyone listening to this they should definitely take a look at your website and I will link to it in the show notes as well so that they can uh, see your beautiful prints. But your your background is actually similar to mine isn't it? Do you want to sort of fill everyone in on where you started?
1: I came out of university not really knowing what I wanted to do and I kind of I had this idea that I wanted to do something creative, but I hadn't done, I hadn't studied art. So I was, you know, I couldn't go into something fully creative. Um, but I I came across buying, retail buying. And I thought, oh, that, that kind of suits me down to the ground because it's creative in the sense of putting ranges together um, and working with product and print and all of that. So I um, had an interview at House of Fraser, as it was, Way back in the '90s, and um, I got a job as a buyer's assistant on um, boys' formal wear, and mm-hmm. I started there, and that sort of kick-started it all. Really, um, you know how learning how to work with trends and interpret those into a range and into product, um, and I think, Kate, as you know, as a buyer, you move around. Um, so many different retailers in your career. So I went from House of Fraser. I moved from fashion into homewares. So I went to Habitat. Um, and it went on and on and on. And I absolutely loved the job. Absolutely loved it. And I, I think one of the best parts about it is you got to travel, travel the world as well, which was also another passion. What was quite funny, because I was thinking about it um, the other day, was in my 20s, just as I got my job, I was also studying at night school how to set up your own business. But um one of the things that I had this dream of was to have a shop.
0: <laughs> and um was it? Yeah. Even though you were working in um in buying. Yeah for, I, for big shops. You wanted to have your own shop. Yeah,
1: I guess the dream was sort of there. Um so I went on I went to night school. I must have just dropped it as I got more and more into you know, my career. And I sort of parked it. And then I I carried on by, you know, different buying roles. And then I obviously got a bit older and wanted to have a family, met my husband, we wanted to have a family. And I knew that it was going to be really tricky bringing up a family in the way that I wanted to with, you know, all the travel that was involved. So I just, Decided that I needed to find something else, but I also wanted it to be creative as well. So I was approached for licensing, which was something I knew I didn't know much about at all. But Mm -hmm. I ended up working for a big American um, entertainment company and doing category management for their licensing. Um, And I have to say, I always felt like a square peg in a round hole, but I learned so much. And it was all, it was slightly different to buying because it was about building brands.
0: Mm. You know, you
1: were li- looking after big, big budgets, but it was how to build a brand from scratch almost through the licensing model.
0: So to just to explain to people that are listening who does, who don't know how that licensing model works, that's when, well, maybe you can name some of, maybe some of the brands that you work with and how you end up creating yeah. the product ranges for them.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was Disney. Hmm. Which seems really really strange now for me, because it's so different, but um yeah, so I worked on um gosh, everything from I, I mean high school musical at the time was massive, or oh, it was growing, so we it became massive while I was there. so you know it was so if you take high school musical, it's how how do you get high school musical from you know the TV series that it was into product ranges. How do you manage those categories and what categories are you going to go after? What does it relate to in terms of the
0: audience and all the product that would go with that audience? That, but that what you learned there would have stood you in really good stead for setting up your own brand. Yes. In that you really understood the customer and developing products for a specific customer.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have to say... <laughs> I'm sure we'll get on to Kate about focus, but I have to say um, it's, you know, I love developing product. It's one of my passions. It's
0: a lot harder when you're doing it for yourself. I think. Yeah, very true because you have to be ruthless about what you put in the, in the collection and what you leave out is almost more important than what you put in. We will definitely come on to that. (laughs) (laughs) So, what, from your buying days, what are the other key skills that you learned that you could bring into your new business when you started running your own own brand?
1: Um, yeah, it's really, I think there's so many. I mean, obviously there's knowing your customer, there's the whole manufacturing, understanding how a product is put together and how you can value engineer that product to meet a key price point Mm. you know so i'm doing a lot of that at the moment with um some of my makers is you know if something's too expensive how can you get the look or the impression without it taking away from the product but you're using something that
0: is um, more cost-effective um, yeah, and that is so important particularly when you work you know if you if it's important to you to work with local manufacturers who are going to cost more in the UK yeah. because their hourly rate is more then you have to think of clever ways around that yeah so give me an example maybe of something from your collection that you've done that with
1: um so we're doing it at the moment so I've got a really lovely lady very clever pattern cutter on my on the fashion side who's got loads of experience and we're not yet meeting the margin on a couple of the products in order to wholesale them. So she and I both said, oh, you know, because the, the particular product is the pyjama top, which is made out of a silk coat. So we don't want to change the fabric because the fabric is is there for ultimate comfort at night. Um, so we've been looking at how we we've made up the product. And we've got lots of detail on it, um, like edgings, and it may be that we don't have to have every single one of those edgings and it might just tweak it enough for it to be able to make that margin. But I find it constant, if I'm honest. I think it's something that you're constantly going through because the price, especially at the moment, I mean, prices are changing all the time for, you know, fabric or cushion pads or, you know, whatever it is. So, you've got to kind of be nimble i think and flexible all the time otherwise you're not going to you're not going to be making that profit that you need to make
0: nimble i love that word that's a really good way of describing it yeah you do nimble and flexible i mean what you know you obviously with the products you're making um you could have made especially with silk you could have made that in India or China, especially with yeah. all of your connections you had from your buying days. So why did you decide to make them in the UK?
1: Yeah, it's a funny one, actually. Um, I I always knew, I guess it came along with the, the vision for the shop. I always knew that I wanted this lifestyle brand. Um, and I always had the vision that it would be manufactured in the UK because... I love manufacturing. Um, My grandparents were manufacturers, so they used to make um, hats and they had a factory in Soho or caps, should I say? Yeah. So they were hatters. Caps,
0: which is is one of the most difficult things to get made in the UK now is any form of headwear. So they were hatters. So they they, were hatters.
1: So it's Wilson caps and I think they're Hmm. still worn by a few hipsters. I've seen a few on eBay. The factory's obviously shut and shut long ago, but uh, she used, my grandmother used to tell these amazing ste- tales about, you know, the factory and she used to call it the business. Oh, <laughs> um, was it in Soho? It was in Soho. So she lived in Strat. My grandfather died, sadly, but um, when she was in her 40s and she used to drive up to Soho every day. And I just had the... I think when you are a young, young, you just build up this vision, don't you, of what it was like. And I, I'd always sort of carried that with me. And I love... One of the parts of travelling the world and being a buyer was I loved being able to access the factories and to know how something yeah. made up. And I think that is part of it. But as I thought about that and wanted to be closer to that... Um, I've realized actually there's so many more benefits to manufacturing in the UK, you know, especially now with, you know, something being sustainable. Um, Although I don't use that word. I've taken that word out, actually. I'm using responsible and transparent Mm. because I think I'm I'm not 100% sustainable at this point. I'm working towards it. But I've realized that manufacturing in the UK can, can bring me closer to that in every way. So, whether it's about yeah. um, the way something's made, or whether it's about who it's made by, or whether it's about trying to reach zero waste, I know where all that waste is going and I can funnel that back into my business in some shape or form. So, I just feel like, and I'm sure, you know, people will listen and say, Oh, well, you can do that anywhere. But for me, it just works. Um, yeah. And I feel like I've got a more um, vision on being responsible and the control around that.
0: And do you get out to visit, obviously with COVID accepting, but the rest of the time, do you get out to visit your manufacturers when you can? How often does that happen?
1: Um, Well, it's interesting because I was trying to think. So I started my business, I launched in 2019. In the January at Top Drawer. Um, so I've only really had an, one normal year, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and in that year, I, you know, I did visit my manufacturers, but since two thousand and twenty happened, I haven't. So I've really only, I've really only been once. Um, so
0: how do you control the communication with them?
1: So that's the thing. I don't have huge amount. It's still very small. It's still quite hand to mouth. Um, we just very much talk on the phone or we email or um we see each other in in person where we can um but i haven't seen actually machinery working if you like apart from on the fashion side which is done out the back of the
0: shop so the the fashion side of the business you make in the shop actually let's rewind let's talk about the shop so yeah as well as having this collection that you launched just two years ago, you also now have a retail outlet.
1: Yes, which happened. Did a did bit... you open that? So Cass- Cassandra and I met in about the September October. As a shop unit had come up, um and it was available for a pop up shop. And she'd she'd thought about how my prints and her florals could work together. And so she said, "Do you want to do a pop up for three months?" And I was like, "Yeah, definitely." we had this amazing 3 months and then we had the opportunity to keep the shop on so we thought yeah let's let's just see how it goes it's been great and it still was great up until obviously the march when we locked down so yeah we've kept it going um it is back open now it ha- you know it's been up and down but i think it you know this weekend's been good i think it takes time Brilliant. it takes time to build it back up again
0: So what have you found to be the advantages of having a bricks and mortar store as opposed to just selling online like you did when you first started?
1: Yeah, I think it's been invaluable for me to understand my customer, um, which is perhaps, and having been a buyer, you'd think I would have, (laughs) you know, had my customer nailed, which I thought I did. (laughs)
0: There's nothing like meeting them in real life, though.
1: But then when you meet them in real life, you know, it's, it's quite different, I have to say. So, you know, Mm. that's been a real eye opener for me. Um, Mm. But there is a little journey that they seem to go on, the majority in that they love the colour. They're not necessarily sure about print everywhere, but they want to try it and they want to sort of be educated in it. So they may buy into one um, print or product and then what seems to happen is they get it home and they love it and they you know get comfortable with it and they come back for more and then it's after that it seems it seems to flow so the classic was a lady who she came in and she wanted so we do quite a lot of bespoke as well so um you know if someone wants something made to their sizes they can do they can do that absolutely so she came in with a, a seat pad and she wanted it her you know um some of one part of it plain one part of it patterned and then that was done and then she came back for the fabric for the blind and she's just come back in the other day and now she wants the wallpaper all different so
0: it's like that's brilliant
1: it's it's so nice it you know it really does it is a little journey and it really does
0: um I mean that's what it's all about It it's sort of It's just brilliant to see. I mean, that's just a great example of how it's better to have an existing customer that you can then sell more products to.
1: Yeah.
0: Than go out and try and find lots and lots of new customers constantly. Yeah. What what you've got because you're a lifestyle brand is you're creating that lifestyle for that customer. And, yeah, and that's a great example of what you've just said given that example that she she's now buying everything that you do what do you do to then get her feedback does that help you build new pieces into the collection yeah so
1: quite often um we're finding that customers come in with photographs of their rooms um where they want you know where they're doing it up or so they'll take loads of photographs and bring them in and and, and that's brilliant because then you get a sense of what they're about Um, and I yeah in doing that and seeing all these people's in you know inside of all these people's houses that uh, have bought into the product you start to realize how it all works together Mm. so you know it may not for some it may not be all over so that's why I started introducing some planes but not in a completely plain way so everything that is plain has a touch of print as well so it might be the piping around the cushion or it might be the inside of the lampshade so I haven't lost my USP you know being the print but it allows someone to I guess you know feel comfortable that they're still they've still got that print, but it's a little it's like a little touch or a little secret almost, um, and Mm. it's not on everything.
0: So we started working together um, more closely back at the beginning of the year, didn't, didn't we? When you became one of my my coaching clients, yeah. And at that point. Well, do you want to sort of explain a bit more about where you're at when we started working yeah, together definitely. in terms of the in terms of what you did need working on in terms of the amount of pieces that you had in your collection?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it does make me laugh. Kate. Um, so I think what ha and just to sort of backtrack, I think, you know, it's that whole thing, isn't it? When you're stressed, I think you fall back on what you know and what you feel comfortable with so I think obviously I was stressed in 2020 like everyone was and I fell back on product development and so I was like a hamster on a wheel developing all these products um not really knowing who they were
0: for (laughs) or um which just surprises me yeah you you know when you obviously know your customers so well because they come in the shop so yeah I I really think it it was happen to anyone it was a
1: nervous reaction so by the end of 2020 when we've spoke about me having you as a mentor you said to me how many SKUs do you have and at that point I think was it about 350 or something
0: I don't think you know how many you had no
1: I think it was <laughs> nearing probably nearing 400 actually um and you said you've got more than a department
0: store which well, <laughs> was good going for a business that's why I think when you've just said Previously, you started in 2019. For some reason, I had it in my head that you'd been going a lot longer because you had the amount of SKUs that someone maybe with a 10, 20-year business might have Oh, it have was just, yeah, it
1: was just crazy. And I had gone against really what I think I wanted to stand for, which was, you know, UK manufacturing. Um, I had some product in there which was more of a print-on-demand product, And I think in my head, I was thinking this is good because I can test it all out. Mm. Um, But it was all coming from Europe. And of course, what happened with Brexit, um, about the same time that we spoke, it all became very difficult to import that um, EU product, which in a way forced me um, to kind of cull my range and to focus basically. So it was twofold, I think you know that happened
0: but also you sort of saying to me kind of what are you doing <laughs> with all this product um Well I think what what happened though the tail was almost wagging the dog wasn't it in that yeah you you'd launched you know at leisure because maybe someone had suggested one person suggested that they would like to see your prints yes. a certain item. so so rather than listening to a big group of people you had listened to maybe just one and gone off with that idea and gone off with yeah, another.
1: But not only in a small way, Kate. I've gone like every print, <laughs> every variation, you know. So anyway, um i brought it back round. I'm on I'm on about ninety products now, I think.
0: Um Amazing. Yeah. Profitable products.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm back to my core. Um and it feels good. It's more manageable. I know where they come from. Uh, I know who makes them uh, and it just feels, it just feels so much better, feels more focused and it's, my message is clearer, I think, although, you know, I'm not saying I've got it absolutely right right now because I know, I know I've got a lot of work to do, but I can see the light.
0: One of the other things that came from that was looking at your price range and what you were charging for your products and looking more closely at what your competitors were charging for similar products do you want to talk a little bit more about that
1: so I had done the whole competitive landscape and I'd also I guess it's a confidence thing as well and I wasn't at that point that registered either um which obviously makes a huge difference and I realized that you know I Well, with Brexit coming along as well with the marketplace piece, um, it was becoming more important to become that registered. So I was thinking about that as well. But then also thinking about the value of my product and becoming more confident in my brand and believing a bit, you know, in myself. Uh, So then I, I did change my pricing and it didn't make an impact
0: um i'm pleased to say so you mean it you mean it didn't make an impact on your on my customers sales?
1: yeah on my sales so
0: so by increasing your prices you sold the same amount of product yes but with a better margin
1: exactly which is where i needed to be so mm. again it's something that during this uh flurry of or nervousness of developing product i had neglected somewhat you know Checking all my pricing, checking all my margins, that they all stacked up enough to be on, not only enough to be on marketplaces, but enough to be
0: able to wholesale as well. Do you think that was also a bit of a lack of confidence in what you were doing at that point? Probably yeah. Because you had so many different types of products.
1: Yeah, I think it went all around. I think it was the number of products, a lack of focus. I think, you know, and everyone's felt it with lockdown. It's like, is my business going to exist after this you know
0: hmm. and i was
1: making contingency plans what am i going to do you know we'll have to go and get a job um so is there's all that thought process and as well as the you know am i good enough as a print designer even um all those questions go through your head
0: so how has your confidence changed now about that
1: well i think kate obviously with being on board with your mentoring program has definitely I mean I can hear it in myself even talking today I feel more confident so with your coaching and mentoring and also being part of the group with the other mentees has just been a massive boost and a massive support to me Um, and I think it's been invaluable I mean I feel quite different about it all and I also feel more relaxed about it and I'm, I'm like, well, you know, no one's going to die if I don't launch the cushion,
0: you know. No, I, that's true. You do sound much more chilled out than, than six months ago. Yeah. As in, you know, there's no wrong decision, is there, necessarily, when you when you have your own business. You've got to try something. So, you know, you, you tried cutting down the amount of, of products in your range yeah. and developing less, less products. And no disasters happened. In fact, positive things happened. And yeah. you tried putting your prices up. And it was, it was good. So you've got to, you've got to try these things, haven't you? I think sometimes you need someone else to, and and other people around you as well to give you the confidence to do that. But I
1: think that I have to say checking in with you monthly almost, well, it doesn't hold you to account, but it may, you know, if you're, if you want to do it, you make sure you do it, you know, Mm. so the stuff we've spoken about over the weeks, and the focus that you've given me for that month, say, you know, you get on and do it so that you can report back the next month. So it's, you know, it's brilliant from that perspective.
0: So how have you found the balance of your time being different now than it was maybe six months ago? So I
1: um, I have a schedule now. So <laughs> I am more organised <laughs> Um, which is brilliant. So I, I schedule everything, you know, so, and I'm actually, it's weird because I'm actually quite enjoying that part of it. (laughs) I never thought I would. Brilliant. Um, so I schedule everything. I make sure I have downtime. So family time, which to be honest, completely went out the window when I was in the mad flurry stage. I'm not surprised if you had 300
0: products you were developing. I mean, it was
1: ridiculous. So... (laughs) I feel much more happy with my work-life balance. I mean, obviously, every business owner works. You know, you, you switch it on, switch it off. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I, it's perfect, but it's better, much better.
0: And what are your plans going forward in terms of what new products you might do next or where you might take your business next?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I think what I neglected to do during the flurry of new product is I neglected my looking at my best sellers and how I could develop those further and do different versions of. So, you know, taking my cushions, I've done certain types of cushions, but, you know, even within that category, there's movement in the shape, you know, how it's executed. So I'm, going to delve deeper into the categories I have so it's I think for me now it's about the depth of range rather than the breadth of range and um, the bespoke part is becoming quite important Uh, definitely through the shop but a lot of inquiries are coming through when people realize that you can do something that's made to order Um, and it's something that I need to sing about a bit a bit better and a bit louder but when people realise that, I think, you know, there is a, an absolute need out there or, or want out there for it. So, mm. so definitely those. And then I think, uh, in terms of actually going to market, I'm I'm still going to grow the online. So with marketplaces, and I've been looking at wholesaling, although it's so hard at the moment. Um, but there are also online business to business platforms where you can wholesale so I'm on a couple of those as well.
0: Tell me more about the marketplaces actually because I did an episode on this podcast a few weeks yes. ago um, talking about the, the pros and cons of yeah. selling your British made products on a marketplace and I know you've had some good success with that so do you want to yeah, sort of explain so... a bit more about how that came about how you got onto? those platforms in the first place yeah. and which ones have worked for you?
1: So I, I was on a, I can't remember what order it happened. I ha- was on a few um, to start with, a couple to start with that was sm- much smaller um, and had started to work. But then I realised that there, you know, you become more aware that there are the bigger ones out there. And I came across Wolf and Badger and I was accepted on there. And I love Wolf and Badger as a a retailer anyway. I love their physical shops. I love the online side of it. And the fit was just Mm. so right. What did you have to do to get
0: accepted? How much of a process did you have to go through?
1: So you have to present yourself and they have a look at your brand quite closely to see whether the fit is right. And then there is an intro fee, which is just a... um, Actually, no, sorry. I think there is a monthly fee and then obviously there's commission on top but for me it works because the orders that come through are global so Mm. it can be the us or it can be australia new zealand um so it's not just and it can be uk as well so but what's interesting is where you you end up selling um and i think that's really important because you know you're growing your brand globally then not just in the uk
0: and it gives you an indication of the countries that like your exactly, yeah. your brand, where you might want to potentially think about expanding your own, I suppose, e-commerce
1: exactly. site
0: and advertising for your site long term. I mean, yeah, you have only been going for two years. You've done incredibly well oh. for a business that's only been going two years.
1: Yeah, I think there was a big Amazing. pivot last uh, in 2020 where obviously when we locked down, I'm sure a lot of businesses, and I know a lot of businesses, pivoted as well. You had to turn it around and, you know, shift the online focus. So I think keeping that online focus going, but having the physical as well, you know, it's important. I'm also with Not On The High Street, but in a very small way at the moment. So, but I understand from their team, who are incredibly supportive, that... Um, they're slightly changing you know their focus on especially on the home decor and they they want to go in, into it in a bigger way so and i think you can see that clearly from what they're doing i think what's quite important is trying to differentiate the product on each of the sites so it's not just a blanket um copy and i you know that's really I don't, good point i don't think they like i mean i don't i've never had it said to me but I don't think, as a buyer, having been a buyer, I know that you know it's it's a bit of a. Yeah, no-no. buyers like to.
0: Yeah, so yeah, they do. They like to have exclusives on things. Do you do exclusives for um, platforms like Wolf and no, Badger?
1: No, but I, it's something that I have thought about, and I know sometimes they have a little message saying, "I think it's on Wolf and Badger," where they say "exclusive," "online exclusive." So, um, yeah, it's definitely something I would look at, um, and that is totally possible. So yeah it, it's I think that's really important to have that so that mm. that is a, a good point
0: point. and as far as the plans for the athleisure go will you bring that in back in at some point yes do you so think it, you'd made the right yeah
1: sorry. so it's really interesting so I know when I was we were talking at first Kate and you were saying what about the fashion side and that's only really been soft launched because of pand- you know the pandemic Um, and I, I had to obviously stop the athleisure side so what's happened recently is people have been asking for it so I think if I was going to do it and reintroduce it back in which it does sort of fit with the range that I have now I would do it in a much smaller way and have one shape and you know three or four prints and that's it and perhaps use that as you know the the faster moving product because everything else is quite slow in that Mm. i might use that as a vehicle to just have you know change the prints every few months you know a couple of months or something so it's adding freshness into the range
0: Mm. and i think certainly as more and more companies in the uk start to introduce digital printing and print on demand because like you said print on demand has been huge but it's mostly european factories at the moment yeah that do it but i think it's only a matter of time certainly from what debbie at tex intel said on on the podcast i did a couple of weeks ago is that we're definitely going to see more factories doing print on demand in the uk
1: yeah it definitely makes forward. sense i think it's a really good place to start and test things and um, the challenge is obviously the margin if you do want to you know go on and well put it on a marketplace or wholesale it so if you're ever sharing that margin it becomes more tricky um Mm. so you know i think the thing is you test it and then you perhaps move towards doing it yourself
0: yeah so print on demand to do the test run where you don't have to hold any stock and you make a much lower margin and then Once you know something that's going to work, then you can afford to invest in the stock, can't you? Exactly, yeah. Hold it in the collection. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. And just tell me a little bit more about the manufacturing you've got going on, actually on site in the shop.
1: Yeah, so um, I work with a really, as I was saying, a a really talented pattern maker, and she sits at the back of the shop. So she does her own stuff as well. And um, she also has some um, seamstress that work in a group with her. So she quite often either makes it out the back or it, it's taken locally to one of them. And it's just really nice. I love it. I, I don't know what well, <laughs> it sounds a bit geeky, but I love the sound of a, the sewing machines going and, um, you know, there's activity and all that kind of stuff.
0: and I think people love to see that now though yeah it ties into the transparency that you were talking about
1: exactly so it's really you know it is it can be made to order there and then kind of thing um but yeah I love that aspect that it's not just a shop it's is a hub really um
0: of activity so do you think there'll ever come a point where you may end up manufacturing overseas again
1: I don't see myself ever manufacturing outside of the UK, but there has to be a part that accepts that some parts don't come from the UK.
0: Yeah, and at the moment, as it stands, especially with some of the fabrics, that's always going to be the case. Yeah, that there are going to be certain things that you are going to have to import, but but you wouldn't manufacture, do the actual construction and assembly overseas.
1: No, I I'm quite wedded to having it. Quite, I mean, obviously, you don't know how. I've I've seen a lot of brands grow, and they they started UK, and then they've grown bigger, and then they've moved to China, or India. I mean, it's hard to know, isn't it? um But I think my val my values lie with UK manufacturing. I think I'd lose something in a way in my brand personally. Mm-hmm. Well. I understand people do it because of a margin
0: um, reason, possibly, is the most? Possibly, but then you lose the flexibility and the nimbleness. But I've seen quite
1: a few manufacturers or brands coming back to the UK as well.
0: Yes, so have I. So many, so many more now trying to come back to the UK. And I say trying because I think until people understand that you aren't going to make the same intake margin, in the UK, probably as you are with manufacturers overseas, but because of the other benefits that you get, actually your long-term profit—the long-term profit to your business—is better. In most cases, I—I I don't know many people that have brought their production back and then regretted it. No, and I, I can't I, think of anyone actually that has no. brought their production back and regretted it. Yes, it's going to cost a bit more, but so many other advantages
1: but I think you don't you know the fact is I can react so quick well I think being quite an impatient person I love the fact <laughs> that I can just react I think it would at this point very much frustrate me if I had to I
0: had to wait you know weeks to see some change you'd potentially have to make wait months wouldn't you yeah. for some of your products and- especially with things like cushions they're quite bulky to transport yeah so the cost of transporting them from somewhere like the far east is not going to be cheap it's a bit different from scarves where you can fold them all up and you can get tons in a box but yeah certainly not for um for cushions
1: yeah so i think you know one one part of it is about your values one part of it is also you know about the reaction time and and, and that whole you know being nimble but also, it's what you give back as well, isn't it? And what that impact that has on, you know, the community, the people that you're you're working with, you know, it, it's it's the ramifications of everything around it. So
0: exactly, what UK manufacturer do you most admire? Can be anything in any different industry.
1: Um, Manufact
0: manufacturer, brand, brand or brand that or brand. makes in the UK. Yeah. That
1: makes in the UK. So um, that's an interesting one. So uh, I, the brands I thought were made in the UK are actually. That's why I was saying a lot of, a lot seem to have moved their production um, mm. to elsewhere. Um, but I did notice that um, Cornishware, which I love Cornishware. Oh yeah, they were traditionally made in the UK. And I think. Have they moved I now? I think they moved. But they've got. I think when I last looked, which I have to say is a few weeks ago, they had a note on their website saying that they are moving. Produ- I'm pretty sure it was. I hope I've got this right. Moving production back to the UK. So that was kind of like. Ah, yeah, because they always did
0: make here. Yeah, so. So they've gone and come back? I think they're planning on it.
1: Yeah, so that was kind of. I don't know. It, It's funny, isn't it? Because I think if you're into that, then it means so much more. Because I was like, oh, I hadn't actually realised they'd moved it out. I'd always thought it was was
0: UK. Well, it's amazing how much brands cover it up when they do move their production out. So suddenly they change the wording on their website slightly, but they don't really want people to know. I got caught out with a pair of walking boots recently by Altberg very much still gave the impression they were made in their factory at Yorkshire. It really took some digging and some to and fro with emails to find out they were made in Eastern Europe.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: is it? Which is just, it comes down to transparency again. Yes. You'd just rather they were honest and transparent. You shouldn't have to send them several emails to really uncover the truth.
1: No. But I mean, there's so many good British brands. I mean, I, I think the whole thing, it's difficult, isn't it? That, As long as you're being transparent, I think that's okay. But yeah. Yeah,
0: agreed. Totally agree. So finally then, Rebecca, what does Made in the UK mean to you?
1: Basically, it means quality. So all round quality in the sense of quality product, quality um, materials, and also quality in terms of the people that actually make that product or produce that product. So I think it, it's yeah I mean I like to think of my brand in terms of those qualities as well being quality (laughs) so I think yeah the word quality sort of springs to mind
0: yeah I think that's a good point I think we can't make everything here in the UK but what we do do really well is the high-end product like your own which is known for its quality its design we can't do we're never going to get back to mass manufacturing here in the UK not on a huge scale but what we can do is beautiful quality products yeah definitely well said brilliant so where can everyone find you then you mentioned briefly about your shop but do you want to just give us the address so people can pop in and let us know when what days of the week you're open yeah
1: thank you I um so I share the shop with Cassandra King who's a florist so we're called Design Pop Teddington um, our address is 141 Stanley Road, Teddington. And then also I'm at website, which is RebeccaJMills.com and Instagram at Rebecca J.
0: Designs. Fantastic. And I'm going to put the links to all of those in the show notes for the podcast. Thank you so
1: much, Kate. So,
0: thank you so much for joining me today, Rebecca. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You've got a wonderful product, oh, thank a you. fantastic business. You should be really proud of what you've achieved, especially in two years. Keep up the good work, it's fantastic.
1: Thanks so much, Kate.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.